Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, September 9th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The Northeast, already battered by Ida, facing a new storm threat as the lack of electricity for thousands of residents in Louisiana creates new dangers. With school back in session and the Delta variant spreading quickly amongst children, growing concerns about the safety of schools, especially in the South. And ahead of a new rally scheduled to take place near the U.S. Capitol building, a major review of security. That event expected to draw supporters of those who participated in the January 6th insurrection. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. For the second week in a row, there is a threat of severe weather across parts of the Northeast. 12 million people now facing new flood concerns in areas already ravaged by Ida. Officials also raising the death toll to 82 in the aftermath of that hurricane. All this as electricity concerns persist for hundreds of thousands of Louisiana residents. I can't even believe that we're talking about this, but here goes. More severe weather for areas already hard hit by the remnants of Hurricane Ida in the Northeast. Millions facing flash flood watches in New York, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Obviously, we're concerned about folks who are hit that any new water could be a problem. And we're also concerned that we could see more than is projected. We have very satur saturated grounds in the state right now. So vegetation, trees, foundations, everything is more likely to be easily moved. The line of storms moving through the New York City metro area late Wednesday with heavier rain and gusts expected in other locations. Reports of trees down in Montgomery County, New York and some hail in northern Vermont. Weather experts say any measurable rainfall, especially amounts greater than two inches, will potentially aggravate ongoing flooding over the entire region. This same storm system hit West Michigan earlier this week, knocking down trees and power lines. Now residents are trying to get back to normal. However, down south in Louisiana, things are far from normal. As of Wednesday morning, there are still more than 300,000 power outages. Energy companies Demco and Entergy saying power restoration is a multi-step process which can be complex. Most of the homes and businesses without power are outside New Orleans. To make matters worse, more than half the gas stations in New Orleans and Baton Rouge are also without fuel. Entergy saying that power probably won't be widely restored to St. John the Baptist and St. James parishes until September 17th and September 29th. The parishes are home to about 325,000 people. State and federal officials said about 3,200 people remain in mass shelters around Louisiana, while another 25,000 people whose houses have been damaged are staying in hotel rooms through FEMA's transitional sheltering program. FEMA, meanwhile, has already approved more than 159,000 household applications for disaster assistance. With Delta variant infections skyrocketing, especially in the South, President Biden is laying out a new strategy to deal with that spread. This coming amid a surge in pediatric cases and a number of deaths among teaching staff in Texas and Florida. Grecia Lastra has the latest. 
This morning, a record number of COVID infections among children. They now account for one in four of all new cases. Los Angeles now on the verge of becoming the first major school district in the country to mandate vaccines in children 12 and older, a vote that's expected to pass, set for later today. In Florida Wednesday, a judge ruling against Governor DeSantis and his ban on mask mandates, saying school districts can require masks while the case is being appealed. The teachers' union reports at least 13 school employees in Miami-Dade School District have died from COVID in the last three weeks. All of them were unvaccinated. Mask tensions rising across the country. In Tennessee, this video going viral of a teenager being mocked by anti-maskers during a county school board meeting. The former teacher at the Rutherford County School System died of COVID because someone wasn't wearing a mask. This is a very, this is a very... COVID hospitalizations soaring across the country. The U.S. heading into the fall with four times more patients in hospitals than a year ago, more than 100,000. And health officials warn the surge isn't over, but it is on the move as cases and hospitalizations stabilize in hard-hit southern states like Florida, Alabama and Mississippi. CDC documents show ICU hospitalizations are on the rise in the northwest and upper Midwest. Unfortunately, um, what we're seeing is this virus is now moving up into West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. It's kind of spreading laterally north, east, and west. While in Idaho, one of the least vaccinated states, paramedics and boys telling us nearly every patient with COVID symptoms they take to the hospital is unvaccinated. This COVID virus has been kind of like a really long mass casualty incident that just goes on and on and on. And so it's been definitely tough on my people. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. The president is expected to announce in a speech today that federal workers will all be expected to get vaccinated with no possibility of opting out. Meanwhile, we're learning more about breakthrough infections, that is, those who test positive for COVID-19 despite having received at least one vaccine dose. A new Yale study shows people with severe cases tend to be older and have underlying health conditions. The average age of those studied was 80 and more than half were overweight, had lung disease or diabetes. Most had cardiovascular disease. 18% of the patients who tested positive had at least one dose of the vaccine, a third were fully vaccinated. And over 5 million people may be eligible to get a third dose of the COVID-19 vaccine when the White House booster plan kicks off in two weeks. The plan would make those who received their second dose at least eight months ago eligible for a booster shot. Data from the CDC shows that about 3.4 million U.S. residents were fully vaccinated by January 20th. That would make them eligible for the booster shot on September 20th. And up to 5.2 million people may be eligible for their booster shot by the end of that week. And for more on the state of the pandemic here in America, let's go to Dr. Elon Shapiro. He's the medical director of health education and wellness at Alta Med in Southern California. Welcome back to you news, Dr. Shapiro. A pleasure as always. Thanks so much for joining us. So we know that hospitalizations are four times higher than a year ago. What's the trend looking like right now for hospitals in your area? Are patient numbers still climbing? Sadly, yes. Uh, and, and the important thing that we need to know is that 
uh, a lot of the patients that we have there are patients that uh, we can prevent the suffering and we can prevent, you know, ending up in the U uh, ICU. And that's well, what the, the thing that I mean is that patients that we're seeing are unvaccinated. And that's the painful part in all the patients that we have right now on hospitals, including even kids, because it's, it's a new trend that we're seeing with the Delta variant is changing all the rules that we knew before. And it's actually hitting, hitting our pediatric patients a lot. On that note, as we just mentioned, hospitalizations are also rising for children. What do we know about how severe these infections are in minors? At the beginning, when we were thinking that chronic patients uh, that have problems with their heart or all these diseases were going to be kind of more affected. But right now we're seeing that kids that were healthy and with no underlying conditions are being affected also. That means that all of us need to make sure that we're vaccinating our kids if possible, if they're above 12 years of age. And most importantly, we can actually use the, the, the um, as, much, as many barriers that we can, including the mask. And that way we can actually layer uh, these barriers between us and the virus. The Los Angeles school system is expected to require vaccines for students 12 years and older. That move could come as soon as today. Now, how significant would this decision be? I'm sure it may stir some controversy. Well, the, here in, in the LA County, we, we serve more than 600,000 uh, students, then it, it's a huge pediatric population and understanding that it, it kind of mimics the, the rest of the country. Uh, having all this vaccination efforts, we have used it against uh, polio, we have used it against whooping cough, and right now it could be another arm or tool that we can actually fight this pandemic and make sure that, you know, kids are part of this community, They're, they are in touch with teachers, they're in touch with pediatric uh, families and also with grandparents and having them protected, they are actually protecting the entire community. The Delta variant has been in the news quite a bit, but let's go ahead and discuss another one. What do we know so far about the MU or Mu variant? How big a threat is it and how concerned are you? Because Delta variant started off with a few cases and all of a sudden, boom, it just spread like wildfire. We have the new, uh, the Epsilon and the Lambda that are cooking around the world. And, you know, we have a couple of variants there and they will not stop until we actually slow down how many infections we're having worldwide. That's why it's so important to vaccinate, not just here in the U.S., but the entire country. Um, the, the variant Mu actually creates a lot of more infections and has a higher load of virus compared to the Delta variant. Then, for example, you know, before the, the original variants that we were having, one that was actually sick and actually contaminated three to four people with Delta, it's more than eight. With Mu, we're seeing more than 10. Then, you know, it, it's, it's very, very highly infected. That's some bad news right there. Now, President Biden is expected to lay out stricter vaccine requirements during a speech this afternoon. In your opinion, what's the most significant measure we need right now to just get this pandemic under control once and for all, if it's even possible? The first thing that we need to do is make sure that we are vaccinated against fear with a dose of truth. Uh, a lot of the misinformation that is going out there is hurting directly our communities, creating doubt. And we're, you know, a lot of people just stop believing in science. And this is the moment that we need to start having honest conversation between each other and make sure that we're taking care of each other. That's the most important thing as humans that we can do. Well, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you here on U News, Dr. Elon Shapiro of Altamed in Los Angeles. Take care.
Meanwhile, in economic news, the number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits fell last week to 310,000. Today's report from the Labor Department shows that the number of applications has fallen steadily since topping 900,000 in early January, reflecting the steady reopening of the economy after the recession caused by the pandemic. And there's help on the way for the nation's farm workers and meat packers, those employees on the front lines of the pandemic and suffering death and disease while still performing their jobs. Ana de Mendoza has more on this new federal assistance. We deserve it too. We've been working for so long and we haven't stopped working. Farm workers and meatpacking plant workers who were affected during the pandemic will now be able to get $600 checks from the federal government. It's good. It's something to help with rent and other expenses. The Department of Agriculture announced that it is allocating $700 million to a fund for workers, as they recognize that many got sick from COVID-19, faced additional expenses or lost wages. We are very happy that the federal government saw the need of these workers because they don't have any other help. According to Guillermo Garcia, the virus continues to affect farmers disproportionately. There are places in the fields where they are resting the crews because they are so affected. Workers with and without legal documents may qualify for the program. Funds will be distributed through state agencies and nonprofit organizations. In the next two months, the federal government will be determining which organizations will be contracted. But right now, the federal government is still working to implement this program and determine how it will be implemented. Reported in Oxnard, California, by Romy de Frias. This is Ana de Mendoza, U News. Just hours ago, Afghanistan's Taliban authorities allowed some 200 Americans, U.S. permanent residents and holders of other Western passports to leave the country on a flight to Qatar. This in the wake of tens of thousands fleeing over the past few weeks following the takeover of Kabul by the Taliban. Most of the foreign citizens still in Afghanistan are dual nationals. The Taliban says they will continue to allow foreigners to leave unimpeded. And back here in the U.S., Senator Amy Klobuchar has revealed that she spent the past several months fighting breast cancer. The Minnesota Democrat shared her diagnosis today in a blog post she penned for Medium. Klobuchar wrote, physicians discovered the cancer during a routine mammogram in February. It was caught early and the senator underwent surgery to remove stage 1A cancer cells at the Mayo Clinic. She wrote her that her doctors now believe her chances of developing cancer again are no greater than the average person. Klobuchar is also reminding people not to neglect regular health screenings during the pandemic. In California, Vice President Kamala Harris held a rally with California's Governor Gavin Newsom Wednesday ahead of a crucial recall election in the state. Harris arrived back in her home state to campaign with Newsom after a previously planned visit was canceled due to the chaos surrounding the Afghanistan withdrawal. Biden is expected to visit California just ahead of Tuesday's election. 
Meanwhile, the White House says it will withdraw the nomination of David Chipman to lead the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. The move comes amid concerns among moderate Democrats and independent Maine Senator Angus King, along with GOP senators, over Chipman's past record on gun control. Chipman, a former career official at ATF, came under scrutiny from pro-gun rights supporters and the National Rifle Association for his work as a senior advisor to Everytown for Gun Safety and Giffords, the organization started by former Representative Gabrielle Giffords, who was shot at an event in her Arizona district back in 2011. And eight months after the attack on the U.S. Capitol building, the FBI is releasing new video of the January 6th pipe bomb suspect. In the video, you can see this suspect walk to a park bench and sit down with a backpack in hand. The suspect is wearing a gray hooded sweatshirt and a face mask. This person is accused of planting two pipe bombs near the Democratic and Republican Party headquarters between 7.30 and 8.30 p.m. the night before the Capitol riot. The bombs were discovered the following day. The FBI says the bombs included galvanized pipes, a kitchen timer and homemade black powder. They were detonated by robots. Since that attack, the FBI has offered a $100,000 reward but has been unsuccessful identifying that suspect. And the U.S. Capitol Police might put up fencing ahead of a right-wing rally on September 18th. The event is called Justice for J6, and it's being held to support people currently in jail for their role in the failed insurrection on January 6th. The rally in support of the more than 500 people charged with crimes related to the attack on the Capitol is being organized by a group called Look Ahead America, which is led by a former Trump campaign official. The House won't be in session the day of the rally. Meanwhile, in New York, Governor Kathy Hochul visited the 9-11 memorial yesterday, days before the 20th anniversary of that terrorist attack. Former Mayor Michael Bloomberg also joining her. New York City officials say they have not uncovered any credible or specific threats for the 9-11 ceremony, which will be held on Saturday. Even so, the New York Police Department will be out in full force across the city to make sure everything is secure. And for more on the anniversary of the September 11th attacks, let's go to Kirk Burkhalter. He's a retired NYPD detective and a professor at New York Law School. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Burkhalter. My pleasure, Andrea. So you were in uniform that Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, and you responded to the scene in Lower Manhattan. Can you tell us a little bit more about that day? Certainly. So at that time, I was actually uh, in plain clothes. I was a detective working in the intelligence division. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, once the uh, first plane hit the tower, um, you know, we things went in motion and we made some phone calls and we had folks from the intelligence division stationed at the airport. And we learned rather quickly that this was not simply an accident, that uh, there was uh, it was actually a planned attack and that there were other planes in the air, including one that was headed towards the direction of the towers. So by the time I got down to the scene after the second plane hit, um, you know, I have never been in the military, but I could have only imagined that this must be what a war zone uh, looks like. As a matter of fact, my law school, New York Law School, uh, was in that area, just about eight blocks or so away from uh, north of the site. And the debris was up to my ankles. Uh, it was just a, uh, just a sea of 
of devastation and it was unimaginable you know vehicles smashed and so forth and uh almost immediately uh police uh fire department ems citizens construction workers and so forth started uh digging through the pile of debris at that point it was very much uh, still a rescue uh, operation looking for folks so i had never seen anything like it and uh, also heard uh, a few uh, law enforcement officers over the radio, police officers who were trapped and and um, and requesting assistance, and there was just no way of even locating them or knowing where they were. So it was rather uh, rather devastating, and I'll never forget it. In the aftermath of the attacks, you trained and supervised undercover police officers in counterterrorism investigations. What were those days like, trying to protect the city against another potential attack? So it was very, um, you know, interesting to say the least, because uh, the attacks of 9-11 very much changed the focus of my work in the intelligence division. And my unit, we were primarily focused on, as you mentioned, uh, you know, undercover police work and, and doing investigations into, um, into terrorist activities. The thought at that time, or rather the fear that all Americans had was that we would be fighting a war on our soil and that there may be other attacks. And certainly uh, what we saw uh, over time was that there were some attacks that were being planned, uh, more lone wolf type uh, attacks and so forth, but the threat did continue. The one thing uh, that this uh, incident did, as horrible as it was, was it did galvanize law enforcement and uh, agencies started working together, federal agencies with local agencies, sharing information, creating an avenue to share information. So certainly it was just a huge, uh, incredible change. Um, some of the outcropping of that certainly was, uh, you know, we, um, as we did with World War II and we did, you know, it, it, many times in our history, we started to look very closely at particular groups of Americans, the Muslim community. And in hindsight, when we look at that, you know, was that warranted? Well, we just didn't know. But in hindsight, certainly we realized that you know, the Islamic community, the Muslim community in this country is an is a integral part to uh, what makes us who we are in this country. So it was just an interesting time. It was 20 years ago. Um, I'll, I will certainly never forget it. And as I mentioned, it really changed the direction of my career. Let's go ahead and focus on that a bit more. Now, the NYPD settled several lawsuits over the surveillance of the Muslim community in New York City in the wake of 9-11. Did you agree with those tactics at the time? And is there anything the force could have done differently, in your opinion? Well, hindsight is always 2020, And unfortunately, history does repeat itself. So we saw the internment of Japanese Americans uh, during World War II. We saw extensive surveillance of all types of groups during the 60s and the early 70s. And then we uh, certainly saw a lot of surveillance of, as I mentioned, uh, Muslim Americans here in the country after the attacks. And what tends to drive these uh these incidents are basically fear and whether that fear is warranted or unwarranted you know if you remember or you think back to that time as i mentioned americans were fearful that every time they would go into a subway uh they would go into a mall they would go anywhere that they could be subject to some type of terrorist attack and they were just screaming for uh information and protection if anything what we've learned is and what we need to learn is uh, to not cast an incredibly large net 
over an entire community. Uh, what is the best way to do that? So you have to take action, you have to investigate, but certainly um, we can't do so. And that's what the courts are for. So and I think in this particular instance, you mentioned that the lawsuits were settled and so forth. And that's the way this country works. That's the way what the courts are for. That's what various groups are for, the ACLU, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. You know, they, there's a check and balance, check system of checks and balances between what the police and law enforcement agencies do and what civilians expect. So hopefully, whenever you have these two forces, uh, the outcome is something that is positive and it informs our decision making as we move forward. Thank you so much for your time. You're another hero of 9-11. Thank you so much for everything you did that day as well. Kirk Burkhalter, former NYPD officer who was in the line of duty on September 11th, 2001. We will never forget. And we all remember very vividly where we were on that day. Thank you for your service. You're quite welcome. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. So-called murder hornets are trying to make a comeback in Washington state. According to the Department of Agriculture, two sightings have been confirmed in Whatcom County. That's near the Canadian border, and it's the same area where nests were destroyed last year. Asian giant hornets are the late largest hornets in the world. They earn their nickname murder hornets because they sometimes kill honeybees by decapitating them. They have been invasive to the United States since 2019 in an effort to stop their spread. Meanwhile, in health news, a new study is shedding new light on the link between lack of sleep and Alzheimer's disease. Luis Mejid brings us this report from San Francisco. Good quality sleep is important, but to get enough sleep is essential. Researchers from Stanford University found that people who sleep less than six hours a night increase their risk of Alzheimer's. The study confirms what doctors always suspected. Lack of sleep creates high levels of proteins that cause dementia. But if not sleeping enough is bad, sleeping too much is also dangerous. Those who sleep more than nine hours a night risk depression and an early cognitive decline. The best solution is to sleep between seven to eight hours a night. But what about those who can't? For the last year, Ivania Chavarria has been sleeping barely four hours a night. She is constantly tired and now worried. Hi. Experts say that to get Alzheimer's takes decades of poor sleep. The best way to prevent it is to get enough rest and to exercise whatever your age. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. 
and join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.